that's when I truly found my truest self. So that was being outside for miles and days and weeks at a time really put things into perspective of, of what's important and um, which running and hiking and physical activity, especially in an outdoor setting, really, really does that. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family-owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high-wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight, and they're incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that Merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in the cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. We are proud to share that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Puma. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, we're fans of Puma and have been really impressed with their efforts to support and foster the running community. We're excited to partner with a brand that has such a rich history in sports and that cares deeply about the running community. Puma believes that sometimes all it takes is a spark to make a change, to get motivated, or to try something new or hard. And we couldn't agree more. All we need is that small spark and the actions will follow to get us there. With that small flicker, anything is possible. Puma Running Shoes offers supreme cushioning, superior propulsion, comfort, and lightweight technology. I've been running in the DV8 Nitro first mile, and I love how it has a focus on sustainability. The shoe feels amazing, and even better, it's in collaboration with First Mile. It's made from at least 20% recycled material, as First Mile's focus is on cutting down plastic waste in production and in the supply chain by finding innovative ways to get recycled plastic into products like Puma running shoes. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code FORTHELONGRUN for 20% off any Puma run or train products. When you support Puma, you support me and the rest of the For The Long Run podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for sponsoring us.
And welcome back. I have Owen Rock Campbell or Owen Stone Soup here joining me today. Uh, Owen, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Of course. So the first question of this podcast is always a tough one. And it goes a little bit like this. Who is Owen? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Already in the hot over here. <laughs> the John. seat's going to stay warm um, the whole time. Yeah, well, that's great. That's that's how it should be. Um, so Owen Rock Campbell is uh, is my my name. Um, Stone Soup is just how I uh, <laughs> how I introduce myself as a way to say my name is Rock Campbell. How you pronounce the name? Um, and my my trail name is Sir Owen Van Grizzle, the Duke of Beartown, which which dates back. Uh, to 2010, um, the first time I hiked the long trail. Um, but I'm uh, professionally, I work for Darn Tough Vermont Socks in uh, Northfield, Vermont, what we call the sock capital of the world. I worked here the last uh, six and a half years, um, attracted to the brand years before that. They were the only socks I, I wore and kind of um, as a local guy here, born and raised in Vermont constantly looked at, at jobs at the company because I, I really liked the product. I really liked what the, the product stood for. Um, and for other pieces for who I am, I um, consider myself, you know, an outdoorsman, a, a hiker, a runner, uh, a family man, and um, just uh, a diverse interests and, and backgrounds. Uh, I, I would consider myself a uh, Perpetually curious, I guess, and uh, a big DIY um, guy myself. Yeah. Perpetually curious. I'm going to latch on to mm. that out of everything awesome. that you said. Um, I think curiosity is one of the best traits that someone can have. I think if you're consistently curious about the world and about your potential and about your abilities and about other people, it can lead you to some really interesting places, athletically, professionally. Um, and in general, have you always been a curious person? And and talk to me about what that actually means when you say perpetually curious. Yeah, I think I always have been a curious person, and it was really driven into me from a, a young age. Um, I come from a family of learners, where um, the example I'll use is my grandfather couldn't afford a college education. You know, he was uh, born during the depression and his, um, his family could only afford to send his brother to school, but that didn't stop him. He, he found a way to take night classes. He found a way to, to constantly be learning. And then he went back to school for his master's later on. And then he retired. And at the age in his sixties, went back for a second master's because it was about learning. It was about, you know, bettering oneself. And so what I got from him was that that desire to do, to, to be curious, to ask questions, to, to ask why, to um, go out and see too. So while his um, education, you know, he was able to get it formally, also so much of what he did, he couldn't get formally. And so it was, again, going somewhere to, to see rather than read about it as well, experiential learning and uh, finding new ways to, to do things and be better and push oneself and see what you're capable of. So where does the outdoor aspect connect to the curiosity? So for my life, for my family, I was born in uh, on a family farm in rural Vermont. And so right off the bat, 
growing up, my brothers and I were kind of, um, we had each other and we didn't, you know, this was of course pre-cell phones and everything else, but even my parents didn't get cell reception at their house until within the last year or two. So pretty isolated, um, also mixed, you know, being in the outdoors, being raised that way really gave us that uh, exploratory drive, I guess, get out in the woods, see what's out there. And then also for that, that same grandparent that I mentioned earlier, for my grandfather and my grandmother, um, they didn't have a lot of money for a while. And so family trips for my mom and my aunts and uncles growing up was camping because it was affordable. So that was kind of uh, a great way to see the world and see what's out there and take a vacation locally. Um, and then similarly through family as well, my, my brothers and I were in- incredibly involved with the scouts. So that was uh, really drove home a sense of um, uh, self-reliance as well as really backed up all of that outdoors um, hobbying. Cool. So we got connected to talk about through hiking and running and a little bit about socks as well. But mm-hmm. um, talk to me about your your background as a runner and then leading into through hiking. Yeah, totally. So um, growing up, you know, we cross country was kind of my sport. And it wasn't that I was like, I wasn't the varsity guy. I was, um, I was there because I found friends through running. And it, well, it also started because I kind of needed that gym credit in, in middle school and high school, right? But what kept me around were some of my best friends and um, that sense of community that was right there um, with this the shared purpose of running after school every day or training over the summer. And even after fulfilling that gym credit, I, I kept running and then kind of had that breakthrough end of my junior year where I said, Hey, I'm going to try to run fast and fast for me. Right. I wasn't, wasn't breaking any records and I wasn't on the varsity team, but then I kind of found that addiction of personal, uh, personal improvement and, and seeing what you're capable of. And that's why I loved the sport as well, because it was me against myself and yes, chasing down other guys and, and friendly competitions with your teammates, but really finding that that growth by um, up against the course or against others. Um, in college, I, I didn't really um, run all that much, but um, right before, um, you know, through scouts, I kind of got into backpacking and my best friend, Ben and I, um, who we'll, we'll talk about Ben a little later as well, uh, we were hiking a lot and we said, you know, right after high school, we want to, let's do the long trail, which is um, the nation's oldest through hiking trail or, or long distance trail that runs through the spine of Vermont on the Green Mountains. I'm sure most of your listeners know all about it. And so that was in um, right after high school. And uh, that's when I truly found my truest self. So that was being outside for miles and days and weeks at a time really put things into perspective of, of what's important and um, which running and hiking and physical activity, especially in an outdoor setting, really, really does that. It gets you in touch with, 
who your body and what you need in the moment and, and you have to be present and, and take care of yourself um, if you're going to finish that day, that that week, that that trail or the next mile. So that was kind of my um, how I got the, the through hiking bug. And then on the long trail, I was meeting Appalachian trail hikers who were because the, the two overlap for just a, a little over 100 miles in southern Vermont. And then I had to do that eventually. And after the AT, got back into running and, and distance running and, and really um, after taking that hiatus. A long-winded answer, but there you go. So the long trail, 272 miles. How long did that yeah. take you? So our first time, you know, is um, my Ben is my my best friend um, since preschool. So um, we met each other when we were three, and then were raised together with so many shared hobbies and and running and hiking being one of them. And so for us, it started off as you know, we're doing the long trail as kind of a kickoff before we go our separate ways to college and everything. And so we we did it at kind of a relaxed pace, which was uh, just about three weeks, which is um, pretty typical, I'd say. Um, now, fast forward um, a couple of years ago, Ben, that same friend, um, is the current fastest known time holder uh, for the long trail um, in just under four and a half days. And I was his crew captain, um, wow. one, of, one of co-captain for that. And I've done the trail a couple more times as well. So um, it's, yeah, three weeks for, for that first time. And then uh, we've both done it since faster and, and slower. So a lot of the listeners are road runners, trail runners. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk with a lot of people focused on the marathon. Uh, we've got a lot of people focused on the 100-mile distance. Um, I've had a handful of friends on the podcast to talk about 200-mile races where mm-hmm. you're you're not really sleeping. Um, my buddy Kevin Goldberg did uh, Cocodona 250 yeah. uh, Monday wow. through th- Thursday and slept like an hour over that period. And we've talked a lot about like what it takes to line up knowing you're going to be moving for the next three to five days. Mm -hmm. What is it like knowing that you're going to be out there for three to five weeks? And in your case with the AT, like months. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the congrats to your friend, by the way, I'm Coca Donna. That's incredible. We were, um, I had a couple of friends running it last year and this year, and it was so much fun to track and a really incredible feat for sure. Um, you know, I just took on my first 100 on Memorial Day weekend, and I did a, a, a road marathon um, this past November and then did one about six weeks, well, eight weeks ago now in, um, in April. Um, and I kind of see this this direct parallel to these endurance races, whether that's your half marathon, your marathon, hundred miler, or more, and and this through hiking, which is this this mental piece. Um, so a stat that to talk through hiking for a second, um, a stat that I heard a couple of years ago was for the Appalachian Trail specifically about half of people drop out 
um, through perspective through hikers dropout by about 300 miles in, uh, 300 to 400 miles, because that's when it turns from a physical game into a mental game. And you have to ask yourself, why am I out here? Why am I doing this? And, you know, to get your trail legs, it takes it takes a couple of weeks. Or in the case of my hundred um, a couple of weeks ago, which was an incredible experience and incredibly humbling as well. I think the first 30 miles were harder than the last 30 miles. And getting yourself warmed up, finding what's sustainable, and then finding that purpose to keep going and to maintain your your health, um, think long-term of knowing that those little tiny things at mile 20 or for your friend, mile 80 of 250, right? If you don't fix those now and you don't focus on the short term, it could all blow up the entire journey later on. Similarly, um, my, my marathon eight weeks ago, it wasn't my first road marathon. And I remember hitting the halfway point at 13 miles and thinking, wow, I'm halfway, but I'm only halfway. I have to do all of that again, right? So perhaps an indirect way of answering your question, John, but it's that that mental purpose and that purpose can't be, it, for me at least, it can't be about accolades. It's not about, you know, checking a box because or else you'll be miserable, right? It's about in the moment deciding to keep going because you can or finding that thing, short-term celebrations or short-term goals within your, within your race or your multi-month hike. You said, Is that making sense? Yeah, you said a couple of things in there. Um, you said with through hiking, people, particularly with AT, people drop out between three and 400 miles. And that's mm. where it switches from physical to mental. There's a lot to unpack there. You said two specific things. People need to figure out, why am I out here? Why am I doing mm. this? What was it like the first time you were presented with that realization that you needed to understand your why? And the reason I ask is like, this is why I have this podcast. I find mm-hmm. digging into that specific question of what am I doing? Why am I doing it? To have incredible power once you have the awareness of what's going on, because then you can replicate that process to be better at anything. Um, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm specifically curious around your through hiking or maybe the 100 miler, but when were you first presented with the, the tangible... I must answer this question right now. Otherwise, I'm done. So I that's a really good question. And I'm, I'm turning in my mind a little bit to, to try to answer again back in the hot seat here. <laughs> um, I that stat that three to four hundred miles, um, it, it it could be it's different year to sure. year, and you know, perhaps as gear gets lighter, maybe it's 500 miles an hour yeah. or so, but that was, you know, but the, the question still remains. So for me, I hit that wall on the AT 
um, about a thousand miles in. And Which is just a mind-boggling uh, number, first of all. A thousand miles. <laughs> but it was, I learned it the hard way. So what often happens, and the same thing could happen too for in someone's training block, in someone's race, is they're feeling really, really good. So I got about three weeks to a month in and I felt great. And so I started pushing myself. How many miles can I do today? Mixed with, there can be a, I'll call it toxic mentality out on the trail where the value you have as a, as a hiker, at least when you're out there meeting other hikers, is how fast you are, how many miles you did that day, which is really dumb, right? Because me doing 10 miles one day might be as hard for me as it is for someone to do 20 or 30 or more. And, but, you know, there's this, well, you might have to edit this out, but a, a dick measuring contest, in lack of a better word, yeah. right? And, and it happens in every sport. It happened, you know, it's, it's gatekeepy. It's, um, it's unfair to people who are out there for the same reasons as you, but to, to find themselves who might not be as fast or might have a disability where they physically can't get out there. And I'm off on a little tangent that I'm going to bring it back. You know, I, it took me a while to recognize that someone's short hiker walk or trail run in a local park is as legitimate as an outdoor experience as someone getting their triple crown of hiking right and someone doing you know someone taking on their first 5k might have the same gravity as someone taking on the coca dona 250 in terms of um, mental capacity and physical challenge and all of this, all of this is to say, John, that I kind of fell victim to that purpose between mile like 500 and 900 being, oh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to bust big miles today. I'm going to hike fast. I'm going to cover a lot of ground and not actually stop to enjoy the, the views as long as I could. And so that equaled me pushing myself too hard. And then I developed shin splints. And so that was that literal moment where I woke up one day and I said, something's not right here. And I had to get off trail for a couple of days because going down this hill out, out of um, Shenandoah and then a little bit beyond, every step hurt. And I said, I pushed myself too hard. And to get back on trail when you wonder, am I going to heal was, was that big step for me. And then after that turned into a, a moment of reflection for yes, why am I out here? Because what I'm, what I'm doing is unsustainable. The ego is fascinating in how it works because everything mm -hmm. is always relative to your own ability and skill, but we love to compare, right? I live in Boulder right. and I'm like average compared to 
a lot of the professional athletes out here and I'm friends with a lot of the professional athletes. Mm. And so just this morning, I'm running hill reps up Chautauqua, which is like a, I don't know, 15% grade. And I'm averaging like a 10 minute mile or nine minute mile pace Mm -hmm. for a three minute segment. And I have friends who can run that like sub seven or 6.30 pace. And I'm like, well, it's not really impressive. And then I look at the at the grade adjusted pace and like I'm impressed by my own numbers when I look at it that way versus the the overall average pace that's not adjusted for it. And I can I found myself in that comparison trap of, well, it's really not that impressive or it's pretty pedestrian. And then people message me and they're like, holy crap, how did you go so fast? And and so it, it's that perfect dichotomy of we're always comparing ourselves to others. And mm-hmm. if we just instead can look at like, wow, I ran five by three minutes hard uphill and was spent and like could not push any harder. Or in your case, you had just rattled off 900 miles at a slightly above sustainable effort. Um, or you talk about the person gearing up for their first 5K and they're out there doing a mile a day or two miles a day. And to them, that's sustainable progress. Like, it's fascinating. I I spoke with um, Kelly Vaughn on this podcast. She was training for her her first half Mm -hmm. marathon. And I had um, Martinez Evans on here. You know, he talked about back of the pack marathoning and, pushing himself for seven hours and over a marathon and like the stories of people doing things to their potential, even if it's much slower than what we're used to or, or whatnot. But even then in that scenario, like there are people who see that and that's fast for them. And so Mm -hmm. it's this wild dichotomy of we're stuck in the comparison game when the, the comparison or the the evolution should be, well, did you get the most out of yourself? And mm. did you did you respect your own skills and abilities to push forward in a sustainable manner for what you are capable of? And it's like you were presented with shin splints as a reality check to say, mm-hmm. okay, this dick measuring contest is unsustainable. And, mm-hmm. and again, I'm out here in Boulder and just like the comparison game is, is wild. You have, you know, I go into a, 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 a cafe halfway through a 50 mile ride and the cashier is saying, wow, you're only doing 50 miles today. And it's like, that's crazy. But it's yeah. just like, we're, we're gravitate, we gravitate towards these objective and measurable comparisons when even on a day-to-day basis, like what we're capable of ebbs and flows. And Mm -hmm. my example of this or my role model in this conversation around ego and getting the most out of yourself is Grayson Murphy. Grayson Murphy is a recent world champion in uphill uh, uphill race in um, just a couple of weeks ago. And what she said was uh, on the day that she became a world champion, again, I think, Um, my goal today is to get the best out of myself. If that gives me a win, fantastic. But if I can be proud of emptying the tank, that's what, that's what I'm proud of. And that's what I want to achieve on this day. 
And so it's such a hard shift to get from how do we think about success in a comparison manner to getting the best of myself manner. So I'm I'm curious, very long ramble leading into the next question, which is how did you rectify that and and complete the next 1200 miles while checking the ego, while doing it in a sustainable manner? And like, what was your takeaway there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you brought up a couple really important things, I think. One is the day-to-day um, that you just said that your abilities might differ. You know, that that hill workout you were just talking about, um, it felt great today. Tomorrow, if you'd waited a day and pushed the workout a day, could have been faster, could have been slower. And for the hike, for that hike specifically, it was a huge win just to get back out there. Notice I was healing, take a couple days. And of course, when you're, ta- when you're taking those days off, you're saying, ah, oh, you know, I have to make these miles up. But why? Maybe you just finished the trail a few days slower, right? Why does it matter? You're real, you, all of this is going through your head. And the, one of the best things I did to rectify it was putting my watch away and forcing myself to say, I'm going to go at the pace that I feel like going and not measure myself. Yeah, not against others, but not against my watch or the time. Because before I had that reality check, I wasn't making it as fun, right? I wasn't enjoying the moment. I wasn't listening to my body. I was seeing, I want to get X number of miles in before I eat lunch, rather than saying, I'm hungry now, I'm going to eat lunch, whether I've covered it, those miles or not. And so it was suddenly, I'm moving X number of miles per hour. And so I must be Um, I'm setting myself up great to hit those big miles today. What I learned on my first day of putting my watch away and just saying, I'm going to go as far as I feel comfortable doing today. I literally went the exact same number of miles I went the day before. (laughs) And that's not a joke. I I wish I had my journal here to, to read it to you where the previous day I, I had kept track of, well, I want to, you know, do 10 miles by noon and then I'll take a, a, a break for half an hour and then I'll, I'll, and then I'll bust out some more. And then instead I said, I'm just going to hike today. I'm going to hike at the pace that's comfortable. I will have, a, you know, I'll know the landmarks from my map and my guide, but I won't know the time. And I enjoyed the views. I took the breaks at the, at the stream to have some fresh water or, you know, uh, sat a little longer. I just had lunch, but, oh, here's a nice view. I'll eat another, another snack here. And like I said, end of the day, I saw, huh, I'll go to this campsite and look at that. It's within a mile of how far I hiked yesterday. And it was a way more fun day. I wasn't trying to hold myself up to a, a number of miles. Um, or a a pace, and it was much, much more enjoyable. The same 
translated into my training block for my marathon and my 100 this winter. Uh, training in winter in New England is really fucking tough. Um, you you build your plan for the week or the next two or three weeks, and immediately you have to yeah snowstorm or it's colder or hey I'm doing a workout today and I set some splits for myself for some pickups and I it's cold today I have to, or it's icy today and it's just that pace when I have to have three layers on I can't keep up that pace so working with a friend he's my friend Seth suggested you should do all of your training for the first I had a, you know a 14 to 16 week build the first 10 weeks is completely off of time not pace so rather than uh, trying to hit 50 miles this week we're going to have you run six and a half hours or you know so it may not have been exactly that but you know my point because one day running an hour depending on the weather and how you're feeling that could be you know eight seven and a half eight miles that could be six five or six miles and particularly and particularly yeah. where you are i went to a wedding up near the long trail in vermont mm. uh, near killington and i was planning to run like 12 miles that morning for my long run and like two hours in i had moved like five miles or something silly like that it's so hard and it's so hard yeah. was that mountaintop that you were up at the wedding i think so yeah yeah, that that's or one of those spots down there, Killington, um, is just gorgeous, but hard. Right. And especially with trails, trails just opened at high elevations for us um, around Memorial Day weekend because of fragile alpine vegetation. So in the mud season here, we call it the fifth season in Vermont <laughs> for a reason. You training for a hundred mile trail race and not being able to get on the trails is also a, uh, a challenge as well. So yeah, all of this is to say, whether you're comparing yourself to others or comparing yourself to a time that you've set or a pace for yourself, it can create a really mentally unhealthy place, I think, for, for myself for sure. if I do that. Now, that all said, it's healthy to set goals and stretch goals for yourself. I want to, I want to race this marathon and set a PR, or I want to get that FKT, or I want to hike X number of miles um, a day. And where I think the difference in through hiking versus like building for a race occurs is that your through hike over weeks or months um, it isn't all culminating into those that 24-hour yeah. race a day or a few hours or minutes if you're trying to you know set a a mile PR a 5k PR you, you have to live it day in day out and you're not just filling the tank in turn you know metaphorically with food or health you're literally building the tank and keeping it strong so you can perform when you need to. Yeah, makes sense. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. 
over here at For the Long Run Podcast, we are enjoying the heck out of summer. And who is helping us stay hydrated and stoked on our summer running adventures? Hydropack. Hydropack is our newest partner, and we couldn't be more excited to be supported by them. Haven't heard of Hydropack? Check your hydration vest for collapsible water bottles, reservoirs, or your favorite handheld. It's most likely a Hydropack hydration vessel. They've been helping us stay hydrated and happy out on the trails for years, sometimes without us even knowing it. Well, the time has come to get to know Hydropack. We love that every product can be a universal replacement for any reservoirs or flasks in any of your vests or packs. Their products are designed for runners by runners, so we know that we're getting the best design for our running needs. They also provide safe filtration systems so that you can stay hydrated and healthy while you're out in the Alpine backcountry this summer. When it comes to summer adventures, I'm most stoked about their filtration system. Their 42 millimeter filter fits in their Ultra Flask, which is the one that I use, and also the Sky Flask. If you need hydration support, head on over to hydropack.com and enter code LONGRUN23 for 20% off. Using our code to purchase your next hydration flask or reservoir helps us continue to make this show. Thank you to Hydropack for supporting the show and the community around it. Keep an eye out for some fun future events together. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I've been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. This episode of For the Long Run podcast is sponsored by Puma. For 75 years, Puma has been pushing sports and culture forward with innovative design and development. We are honored to have Puma supporting this show and supporting the running community at large. My greatest compliment for running shoe is, I didn't think about it once. The purpose of having the right gear is to enable you to do anything you want out there. When I'm running in Puma's Deviate Nitro first mile, all I'm thinking about is literally anything else. I think about the community, I think about why trying hard things is so rewarding, I think about how cute Alfie is, and I think about how much I love tacos, and I think about the big things like how I want to leave each place I inhabit better than I found it. You know what I'm not thinking about? What's on my feet. And that's the best thing about Puma running shoes. They're designed to help you get out there effortlessly so you don't have to worry about what's on your feet. Just need to worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run, all one word, for 20% off. Again, when you support Puma, you're supporting me and the rest of the podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for supporting us. Okay. 
Okay, so switching gears, uh, Sir yeah. Owen Van Grizzle, the Duke of yeah. Beartown. What's yeah, the, yeah. first? Can you explain trail names, <laughs> and then can you explain that Absolutely. trail name? Yeah. So um, trail names, I I think are a beautiful uh, a beautiful thing. First of all, so it's pretty common to, um, especially on a longer hike, um, you don't I don't go by Owen Rock Campbell as you introduced me as. Out on the trail, I'm Van Grizzle is, is kind of my, uh, my name that started ironically. Um, and often trail names are, are gifted uh, to others um, or there's a, a, a specific reason uh, you might have it. Friend of mine is X-ray because within a couple of weeks he fell and had to go get an X-ray, you know? Um, and, you know, I have a friend who is um, Ant-Man because he's small, he's quick, and he carries way more than he sh- should be able to carry, right? <laughs> and he has it's eight little legs. things like, yeah, oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> absolutely, right? As uh, yeah, little antennas coming out too. Um, come to think of it, oh my gosh, is he a man at all? Uh, but <laughs> he, um, so they're uh, out in the trail. You can be anyone you want to be. Try to, and of course, you should be your best self, and you should, you know, of course, that comes with respecting others, respecting the trail, of course. Um, so when Ben and I, Ben Feinson, uh, were hiking right after high school uh, back in 2010, um, we ironically gave each other names McGruff and Van Grizzle, <laughs> uh, which were just like because we were like scrawny boys and we knew we weren't tough, but that was the point, right? We're like we're just being ironic here. Um, we thought we were hilarious, and then we got to Stratton Pond, which is um, just north of Stratton Mountain, down in southern Vermont. Beautiful spot, right in the middle of the Green Mountain National Forest, and we met this guy named. Um, Cyclops and Cyclops had like an old fashioned headlamp, like uh, so it looked like an eye on his forehead. <laughs> and um, even then, it wasn't, you know, it was a bulb, it wasn't like an LED, which um, it was old fashioned even back in 2010. And so he wore it kind of as a sweatband as well as his light. So he'd wear it around the clock. So Cyclops was his name. And Cyclops also carried a foam sword. Um, and we're like, Cyclops, what's, what's with the sword? And he said, well, I hold it aloft on majestic peaks. And we're like, oh, of course, right? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah. So a Cyclops was, um, I think, a great example of the why, that we had this clear purpose for us of we are, we are hiking this trail. We are going from the Massachusetts-Vermont border to the Canadian border, the length of Vermont. This is something we want to do. Cyclops... I'm sure other, you know, other people have met him if they're hikers in Vermont. He wakes up in the morning and he picks a direction. So he's out there for a couple of weeks every summer and he, you know, he doesn't have a clear end goal other than to just be out there, which is beautiful. And, you know, if he's running low on food, well, maybe he'll head towards town to, to resupply. Otherwise, it's, hey, I like this person. I'll hike with him a day or whatever. I digress, but we kind of... Um, I, I could say it was 100% his idea, but we did kind of plant the seed that maybe he should do a knighting. And then we did some, <laughs> ni- some no- noble deeds around this, the, the campsite and, and made some humble offerings of some 
some trail bars. And then he called everyone out of the shelter for a knighting ceremony. And um, he asked us what realm we were from. And um, Ben just said, Beartown. <laughs> and so he knighted me, Sir Owen Van Grizzle, the, the Duke of Beartown. And Ben became Sir Benjamin McGruff, the wise seer and keeper of the secret of Beartown. So uh, just incredible. Um, and then the yeah, the lore has grown from there, and there are others who have have joined the royal court. Incredible. And um, I'm not even kidding. Uh, the night before I married my wife Anna, um, she had to formally undergo some tasks to uh, to learn the secret, as well as uh, officially join the court of Beartown before before we could wed. Those tasks are available on uh, the Patreon version of this episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, moving from moving from trail names to trail gear. Um, I'm familiar with the gear it takes for a 5K, a marathon, mm-hmm. and even, you know, a 100-mile race. I'm not quite familiar with the the material needs of 200, 300, 2,000 mile efforts. Talk to me about that and what f- kind of food are you eating? What kind of mm-hmm. socks are you wearing? You know, the, the usual questions. Yeah, so for the, um, I think the, the Venn diagram of gear for trail running and hiking is getting more and more to be a perfect circle. Um, you know, as more people are, hiking longer distances and, and trail runners and, and using lighter and faster gear. And of course, it's not far much of a step for your listeners who are more uh, road focused uh, to see the benefits of um, that translate from a, a brand's uh, road shoe into their, their trail models. Um, so footwear, um, obviously that's my forte working here at uh, darn tough socks is I know and have learned firsthand what it takes to take care of your feet every day. Uh, footwear wise, you know, I mentioned trail runners, uh, merino wool and tech um, materials like that are are the big piece. And not just for trail, I'm talking road, uh, road as well. So um, obviously good socks can make or break your experience because you could have the best possible shoes for the activity you're doing, whether that's your 5K, your 100 miler, your hike, your your walk around the neighborhood, your your ski, your snowboard. And though that footwear isn't gonna mean anything if you have the wrong pair of socks or a crappy pair of socks. So for me, I mentioned Merino wool and the why Merino question is, is one I love to talk about. My, I used the same t-shirt every single day on the Appalachian Trail. I have it still. I've sewn it up in several places. It was 100% Merino wool. I had 15 degree days on trail. Yes, I had another layer over the top. And then I had 98 degree days on trail. I had the same t-shirt, moisture wicking, odor resistant, thermal regulating. And then the entire 2,200 miles of the AT, I used two pairs of socks trading back forth 
mid-weight pairs of socks. And again, same same temperature ranges, a lot of lot of mud to walk through, rainy days, etc. Um, and that is um, just uh, speaks, I think, to the the power of of the material. Um, those um, folks who who run know that the best socks, the best shoes, the best gear is the stuff that you set it and forget it. Once it's on, if you're noticing it, that's a problem. So that's yeah. Completely agree. I've I've said that I've had a, a handful of um, shoe <laughs> shoe ad reads or sock ad reads where I basically said like. You want something that you don't think about, uh, and this is that. And um, so Darn Tough is a sponsor of this podcast. Um, I appreciate the work that you and the team have done in the space, the people you support, and then uh, the support of this podcast. We kicked off earlier this spring, and several hundred people have placed orders with with our discount code. So um, Darn Tough has extended their sponsorship and support of this podcast through the end of 2023 and uh, committed to in, into 2024 as well. Um, so we're having this conversation made possible in part by the company that you work for. So I appreciate that. And the people who are listening and spending their hard-earned dollars on um, the brands and the partners that are supporting the podcast, thank you as well. Um, it's a it's a lovely circle and and flywheel and you know it, uh, brands supporting the podcast podcast supporting the brand and people learning about cool people doing awesome things and and you know gear that helps them do it so thank you to to darn tough and and thank you for the work that you've done for darn tough and uh, it's been it's been cool awesome to work with you guys um, you're welcome yeah it's been absolute pleasure. Um, to to work here and to talk to you today. Why I love coming to work every day um, is that same curiosity we kicked off with today. So I work in product development. I'm the product line manager. What that means is I'm trying to solve a problem for, for our customers. I'm trying to see what do people need, trying to give them the best possible product at the exact right time. We have this superpower here at Darn Tough is that Everything is made here. So I design in the same building with my team that we're knitting the socks. Everything is made in Vermont. That means ultimate quality. That means, and I kid you not, that we can design a sock and tweak it. And the exact same day, our sampling and prototyping team can give me a sample to go after work, take on my evening run, or to take on a hike. That's unheard of in, in the apparel industry. You know, I started working for the company in customer service and they've grown me, which is, which is amazing. But we've also grown the industry by taking quality back and saying, you don't outsource for quality, we can make it, we can make it better. And we have, of course, I'm sure you've talked about that unconditional lifetime warranty. First ever in the business, we're constantly learning, we're constantly improving. We'll replace your socks if they're not comfortable, durable, or the best fitting socks that you've had. We did a giveaway where we said, uh, you can win socks for life. And we did, mm -hmm. uh, the the prize was seven pairs of darn tough socks with yeah. the the caveat that, you know, it's a lifetime warranty. Um, mm -hmm. I am 
curious around, I mean, I could go hours on some of these topics. (laughs) Um, I'm curious on the, your upcoming Appalachian Trail adventure and how, how the through hiking and ultra running makes you a better professional and more importantly, a better person um, overall. A lot of people talk about um, running is selfish and I don't think it is. I think it's like the best, the way to get the best out of ourselves so that we can show up for other people. So Mm -hmm. to bring it back, how does running and through hiking contribute to your life or, or help make you a better person? Yeah, that's a, a big question and one that, like you said, we could go hours on. Um, I mentioned earlier the perspective that I have gained from hiking and ultra running and and marathoning and, and all kinds of running that in the moment, whether you're out for a, a two-mile hike or, or two-mile hiker run after work, or you're, you're taking on a big distance or in the middle of a, a workout like you did this morning, you have to focus on yourself. You, you notice things about the, the minutia of your form, the minutia of the terrain you're on. You have to be present. And when you're present, it also puts things into perspective of what's important, I think. And so I don't think running is selfish. When you have it with that lens. Yeah, I completely agree. Exactly. And it can sometimes feel when I know I need to go for a run to clear my head from a busy day or a distraction you know, my, my friends and family understand that I, I need to go do that so I then can come back and be present with them. And, and that is a huge breakthrough that I've seen in, in my life and, and, you know, in my marriage of Anna knows of, hey, if he's, if he's going to go for that run, he's going to come back and he's going to be, you know, a better husband or he's going to be more present. And, you know, it's, I think in that sense, that perspective is, is so important. And then in the long, a long haul, I mentioned the, uh, the perspective of what's important in life, right? We compare, you know, we all compare ourselves or, or fall into the trap of consumerism or, or, or social or, um, distractions. And when you can go out and, be in tune with your body, be in tune with nature and can't have much with you because it's heavy or, or whatnot. Um, it, it makes you realize that, that the simple things matter. Totally. I think. I love that. Um, I think my last question is around the adventure you have coming up in two weeks. So when yeah. this episode launches, yeah. uh, you will be somewhere on the Appalachian Trail. Um, continental divide continental Continental divide Divide, right 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 right. yeah Um, so i'll be uh hiking through your neck in the woods sometime later this year (laughs) (laughs) um what are you most excited about so everything i just mentioned was part of the conversation of course with with my wife for us to reserve the time for this hike and uh, make sure we can 
um, are prepared to do it. Uh, my wife, Anna, and I, trail name Toomey. That's a, a story for another time, uh, T-O-O-M-I. Um, she, this is an adventure on the continental divide where we're taking on together. We fly out in early July and we'll start hiking south, southbound from the terminus in Glacier National Park at the Canadian border. And then we're budgeting five-ish months. We'll, we'll see, right? We're Per our uh, conversation earlier, we have to uh, see what's sustainable for us once we get out there. So back to your question, since my Appalachian Trail um, hike in 2017, I have missed that sense of self that we just talked about, that sense of being present, that sense of what's important, as well as how beautiful the trail is and not just those peaks and not just you know those 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 vantage points and those destinations that that rock or that tree that you might pass at any point in the trail and we also talked about that mental shift that happens several hundred miles in that you have to ask why am i out here because you're physically fit and now it's just you and your thoughts and for us me and anna it will be the two of us and our thoughts and role, it'll be a really great challenge for us to find that uh, that sustainable purpose together, I think. Um, it won't be easy, and that's we know that. Um, you hear all sorts of stories about folks on uh, big hikes who, you know, they... It wasn't for them as a couple, perhaps. And we, we've done shorter adventures of several weeks together and we're, we're confident it will. But it will be um, not only being present with ourselves, but that other person. Really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to this trail in particular um, as it is kind of the underdog. Um, everyone knows the Appalachian Trail. Everyone knows the Pacific Crest Trail. The Continental Divide has just a fraction of the number of people who attempt it. And it is um, not fully routed, meaning there's no official route. There are some parts that you have to uh, get up the map and compass perhaps, or choose your own adventure for a couple hundred miles here or there. And just the beauty in the remoteness of the trail and the fact that it is less, less popular, I guess I'm looking forward to. Um, I am a stranger to higher peaks. I think that the trail, um, the lowest points, 4,200 feet, goes up to f- over 14,000 in Colorado. And the highest point in Vermont is uh, just over 43. So very different type of hiking. And um, no, uh, um, not easier or harder as a, as a single definition, just different, a different adventure. I was out um, in Leadville uh, this past summer mm-hmm. and seeing people doing the Continental Divide Trail, having just yeah. come over Independence Pass, and they were just like so stoked to get a resupply in um, little town uh, Twin Lakes, um, and they were they just seemed to be having a hell of a time, just like a really really good time. Um, and it was, it was super cool to see. Um, I lied. I have one more question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for someone who's listening, maybe they're familiar with Darn Tough, um, but they've never, they haven't bought a pair. Uh, what would you mm-hmm. suggest as a first step for them? Yeah, I think, um, there's, we have 
over 480 style colors that you can choose from, and it can be overwhelming. Um, for folks who are new to it, we have a great sock finder on darntough.com, or you can ask your local gear shop to, to give you a recommendation. I would say think about your end use goal. Um, so we are designing socks that are end use specific. We are the best selling hiking sock in the country, and we but we have you know over a hundred models of hiking socks based on preferences. We have something for everyone. We have run socks. So if you're if you're looking to run, you're looking for something to to hike in, something to ski in, something to just uh, for everyday wear. Um, look for the categories because we're designing around those that end use specific goal and the footwear that's associated with it to create that footwear system. I would say when in doubt, go with something that's a micro crew cushion, lightweight with cushion or midweight with cushion. That's kind of, I think, a best best sellers for us for a reason. I mean, cushioning underfoot with enough of that uh, amazing merino wool to wick moisture as well as, um, you know, uh, impact protection on your run or on the, um, on your hike. I run my road races and um, ultra lightweight with cushion. I hike in lightweight or midweight with cushion. That would kind of be my, uh, the, the sock you can do in anything, I think is uh, ultra lightweight or lightweight with cushion. Long-winded answer, <laughs> but- You're the guy to ask. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, and um, you know, also call our customer service. They're, they're amazing. Um, I'm not just saying that because I started in customer service six and a half years ago. It's, um, call, ask, check out our website. Yeah. And um, they they are an investment, but one for life and one that once you get into a pair of them, you'll you'll wonder why you were buying those those crappy cotton socks, you know. Amazing. Oh, and thank you so much for taking some time to chat today. And uh, maybe I'll run into you out when I'm doing the high lonesome loop that pops right onto the divide this summer. So yeah, might see you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Of course, and likewise. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 